We're going to turn to Romans chapter 12 again. On Wednesday night, we talked about worship, what it is. Talked about it beyond songs, beyond church services, what life as worship looks like. So if you weren't there Wednesday night, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to it so that you can, we can all be on the same page. Uh, but today we're going to extend on that thought. We're really going to focus on the first two verses of chapter 12. Because chapter 12, we, we, we talked about last uh, Wednesday night, we talked about the fact that chapter 12 is telling you how to live your life as an offering to God, as a sacrifice to God, and how it would be, it says that this offering to God, this sacrifice is pleasing and it's acceptable to God. Peter said the same thing when he wrote his letter, or one of his letters, he said that um, we're living stones that make a house, and that house is a place, a spiritual house, where spiritual priests offer spiritual sacrifices made acceptable to God through Christ Jesus. So acceptable in this sense, and when he talks about the will of God being good, acceptable, and perfect, acceptable, when we talk about that, means that the sacrifice of your life, the things you do, that God puts on your heart to do, that God tells you to do, these are offerings to God. He considers them worship. They're acceptable to God. They are a sacrifice that that passes the test because of Jesus. Jesus is the filter that, that when it goes through Him, it removes your human flaws and comes to God as a perfect sacrifice. That's why in the Old Testament, as we said, the priest would have something, it was called a mitre, and it would say holiness to the Lord on it. And because he had that, the Bible said the reason he needed to have that is because even the nice little animals that they sacrificed, and I'm sorry if that makes you queasy thinking about animals being sacrificed. We live in a new covenant where there's no such sacrifice anymore because Jesus has become our sacrifice. But you understand sin's a big deal. I mean, rebelling against God was a big deal. And, and the scripture says that the wages of sin is death. It said, without the shedding of blood, there would be no remission of sins. So the reason they had to, I mean, you say, well, wasn't God mean to animals? No, he certainly wasn't. But the reason they had to kill an animal was because it was a symbol and it was, it was, it was a type and a shadow of what Jesus would later do. And so because of the blood of that animal, God took it as, a, took it as an image of what Jesus would do. And so they could be forgiven. So that was the price for their sin. Don't blame God, blame them, blame ourselves. So anyways, in all of, the, in all of that, they'd, they'd offer a nice little animal, but the Bible says that even the animal just coming in contact with sinful people made the sacrifice tainted. Just because it had been con- in contact with a sinful person, it itself was compromised. And so because the high priest had this miter, because he had, the, because he had a symbol of what God would do through Jesus, that sacrifice was cleansed in that process and made acceptable to God. Because it was acceptable to God, he'd take it and say, all right, I receive your sacrifice. You'd hate for it to be rejected, right? We talked last Wednesday night about Cain and Abel, how Cain's sacrifice was rejected. Abel's sacrifice was accepted. In fact, that's a little bit wrong because the scripture actually says, God said, Cain and your sacrifice I'm displeased with. Abel and his sacrifice I'm pleased with. See, they went together. It wasn't just like, I like you both, but one of you did a better sacrifice. 
Or Abel, your sacrifice is gross, but because I like you, I'm going to keep it. No, it was because of their heart that they offered what they did. And the reason Cain's sacrifice was wrong. You see, I used, to, I used to have a children's program where it told the story of Cain and Abel. It's really hard to tell the story of Cain and Abel to kids because really the main part of the story is one brother bashing the other overhead with a rock or whatever, a club or something, and brutally killing his brother. Not a fun children's tale. It's not Winnie the Pooh. Neither is Noah's Ark. The greatest slaughter in humanity becomes our great kid's tale because it's got animals in it. We like that, right? It's kind of a brutal story. (laughs) But anyways, I'm getting off track. So in in my kid's program that I watched, my kid's program, Cain's sacrifice, you see, because Cain offered vegetables and Abel offered meat. So in, in my kids' program, you know, it was a cartoon. Anybody ever watch Superbook? All right, Superbook, represent. Okay, so they offered, Cain offered the vegetables. And in Superbook, in this cartoon, Cain's vegetables were like gross. They were rotting. It was just disgusting. And, and, and Abel had his, I mean, his best, his, his best animal he put up there. Well, that, that's not what the scripture says happened. It doesn't say that Cain gave his worst. It just said he gave what he thought was a good idea. He gave what he thought, this looks good. He probably picked his best vegetables, thought this looked good. But you see, the whole point of the sacrifice was representing what Jesus would do. So it had to have some blood. I hate to say it, but it had to. And I don't know if Abel caught on because when, when Adam and Eve first sinned, God killed an animal and clothed them with its skin to represent what Jesus would do, to represent that they were covered by that. It was the shedding of blood to, to re, for the remission of sin. I don't know if he caught on to that, but what Hebrews says is the difference is Abel offered his sacrifice in faith. It says, by faith, Abel found his sacrifice pleasing to God. So that's the difference, by faith. Faith comes by hearing. And hearing the word of God. You can't have faith in something God didn't say. Jared can can say he has all the faith in the world to have a pet unicorn. Yes, Lord, I'm sowing a seed for a pet unicorn. God, I believe you. You are the God who gives unicorns. But God never promised that he'd give anybody a unicorn or that he'd create such a creature. He may give you a manatee or something. But just because Jared wants one, and just because Jared says, you know, I prayed just like everybody else, that doesn't make it faith. Faith depends on what God says. So why do we have faith that somebody can be healed? Because God said they would. Why do we have faith that I can go to heaven? Because that's what the scripture says. That's what God said. So I can trust him. My faith is not in my prayer. My faith is not in the, the way I prayed it or what I did when I prayed it. But it's in, the, it's in God's word. And so if Abel offered by faith, we have to assume at some point God said something that he was going on. We know that they talked to God. We know they had a relationship with him because if they didn't, how would they know that one sacrifice was pleasing and one wasn't? They knew on some level. You see, Cain's problem was he came up with what he thought was a good sacrifice where Abel, obviously, this is implied, this is my reading into it, but I would think that Abel asked the Lord, what should I do? 
And because God knew more than we knew, because God knew about his plan, the animal was part of that. I don't want to get too far off the point. But in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, it says, it's a long pause to, for dramatic effect. Romans chapter 12, verse 1, he's been talking about the great mercy of God, that Gentile and Jew alike, we've all been accepted, we've all been shown mercy, even though we were all disobedient. In chapter 12, verse 1, it says, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God. Another translation says, in light of the mercies of God. Because I just told you about how great God's mercy is. I urge you, in light of that mercy, by that mercy, present your bodies as a living and a holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world. Don't, don't, don't blend in with everybody else, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So last Wednesday night, we talked about this. We talked about that worship, that living sacrifice. Today, we're going to talk about something that shows up in that second verse, which is proving what the will of God is, which is something we all want to do. And when he says proving what the will of God is, he's not talking about like in an argument, Somebody says, this is the will of God, and you're saying, this is the will of God, and you turn out to be right because you could prove it. That's not what he's talking about. This kind of proving means that it's only it, it's showing the will of God through action, through practicing it, through exercising it, through actually doing it, you're living out the will of God. You want to live out the will of God. Some of you do, and the rest of you nodded sagely. Yes, yes, I do. And for the benefit of everybody listening to the podcast, they all nodded, don't worry. The church is born again. We want to prove out the will of God. We want to walk out the will of God. That's easier said than done sometimes. Because when it comes to what he said in chapter 12, giving my enemy a drink if he needs a drink, giving him food if he asks for food, it's obviously the scripture, so we do it. It's love, so we do it. What about if you're supposed to move to Edmonton or not? What about if you're supposed to take that job? It's tough to find a scripture that tells you whether you're supposed to do that or not. It's tough to find a scripture that tells you whether you should be a, a hairstylist or a construction worker. Usually there's not a big battle between those two things. <laughs> That's usually not the options you're faced with. Tia has a friend who went from construction work to hairstyling. And isn't that funny? That, that's the way it works sometimes. It's a talented guy. But for the rest of us, sometimes there's just those little, little choices in life where you say, I wish I could find a scripture that tells me what I'm supposed to do right now. Have you ever felt that way? And then you go to somebody smarter than you and you say, you tell me what to do. You tell me all the answers I need, right? You've got answers. You tell me what I need to do with my life. But I've got to tell you, there's really nobody in your life that can replace the Holy Spirit or should replace the Holy Spirit. You're going to find that, that even, even your best friends, even your, even your spiritual leaders that, that are helping guide you into the will of God won't step into the place where they'll always tell you what the will of God is because if you do that, not only could they be wrong, but really it keeps you in a state of perpetual immaturity where you never grow up. So what does a good leader do? A good leader helps you to find out the will of God and walk it out as best as you know. That's what, that's what God has called us to do. And so when we see this, 
Let's look, at, let's look at what comes before proving the will of God. Don't be conformed to this world. Why? Because the Bible says that the world is walking out a course. It says this in Ephesians. They're walking out a course according to the prince of this world. Prince of the darkness, the power of the air. So they're walking out a course that's not laid out by God. It's a course laid out by the other side. And so being conformed to this world is a, is a bad idea. It's, it's going to be opposite of the will of God. Or, or at very best, sometimes, coincidentally, it's going to line up with the will of God. Most of the time, it's not. So you've got to settle this, and can we all settle it this morning? I'm not going to look like everybody else. You're not going to look like everybody else. If you want to do the will of God, you are signing a document that says, I agree to be weird. Dot, dot, dot. That's what you're saying. A little bit. Now, I... I don't mean me weird like you're socially just really awkward. That's not what I'm talking about. But, I, but you are going to make some decisions that don't make sense to people. Yeah. Why didn't you take that promotion? It's more money. Yeah, but, but I knew I was supposed to spend that time doing this. God told me to do this, and I don't care how much money you offer me. I know what God said. Well, that's not a logical decision to them. Or, you know, I mean, just various things in life. You're going to go the opposite way because that's the way God told you to go as opposed to the obvious way. And the obvious way is the course where everything runs downhill and water all runs down the same direction and everybody in life says, this is the obvious choice. But God says, I've got a better choice for you. And you look at all the heroes in the Bible who did wacky things which makes sense now after the fact. It makes sense to have a big boat when there's a big flood. It doesn't make sense way before there's a flood. It all makes sense. We're like, of course, Noah had an ark. There was a big flood. But there wasn't a flood when he built it. He spent a big chunk of his life building a big giant boat where there was no water. I'm talking about like building a giant boat in Saskatchewan out there in a canola field. And not saying I'm going to put it on a trailer and move it somewhere, but saying the water will come to me. See how many of your friends like to hang out with you after that. No, 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 no. Do you have a trailer that could... That's way too big for any trailer I've ever seen. You're right. Because this is all going to be water soon. Well, they just, I mean, you just, you know, you're, you're dismissed. You know, that's, you're no longer welcome at the coffee table. At your local cafe, you have just been certifiably insane. So you're going to, by saying, I want to do the will of God, you are saying, I will sometimes do something totally different than everybody else. So I can't be conformed to the world. But I'm going to be transformed. And transformed means totally made into something new. Right? Like kids playing with those little transformer toys learn. It, it looks like a truck. It becomes a robot. It's something totally different. You shouldn't base theology on that. But it's an illustration. Something transformed is something that's totally different. It's a completely different thing. So would you like to be totally different than when you started out? Would you like to be a different person by the time we're done with this? Would you like to be a different person by the time you stand in front of Jesus? Would you like to be able to say, I'm different than before I got born again? Yes. Well, the first step was he changed you completely on the inside. You're, you had a new spirit. You were recreated. That was instant. But your brain is still your brain. And that's all right. When you got saved, you got a new spirit. You kept the same soul. So, if not dealt with, that's why some people have the same fears 
post-salvation that they had pre-salvation. They were afraid of roller coasters then, they're afraid of roller coasters now. They're afraid of talking to people then, they're afraid of talking to people now. Or various other things, you know, fears, discouragements, thoughts. These are all from your soul. Now, you know that spirit ministers life to you. Jesus said it's a spring of life within you. If you let it, it'll come out into everything. I mean, all that good stuff that you need, that joy, that peace, that patience, those are fruits of the spirit. Joy is not an emotion. If it was an emotion, it couldn't come from your spirit. It will work its way to your emotions. If you have joy on the inside, it will cause your emotions to change. If you've got peace, if you've got patience, if you've got long-suffering, if you've got gentleness, kindness, all of these are fruits of what? The Spirit. So, thank God for the Holy Spirit. Thank God you've been made new. But the one thing that's got to change throughout your whole life is your brain, your mind. And God loves your mind. He gave it to you. He made it. He made it so complex that scientists still can't completely figure out what's going on in your brain. I mean, you just think about the music we sang today. Do you know how complex, how complex just hearing that music, forget the fact, forget if you can play it or not. Just being able to hear it and sing along is a super amazing process in your brain. It's doing things you can't even just, you can't even fathom. I mean, there are just, I mean, I, I, I can't get into it. But there are so many things going on just inside that little thing, that little, little, little group of electrons and neurons and all these things inside of you. Well, God gave that to you. He gave you a brain. He gave you a mind. And you're not supposed to check it at the door like some people say. You need to keep it, keep it with you. And the Bible says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. So you're really supposed to love God from that. With that soul. It needs to be renewed. It's been marinated in the world. You learn to think like everybody else. It needs to change. And it does. It begins to change as you grow, as you begin to... to the Bible says that your, your mind is washed. It's renewed. It's washed by the water of the Word. So when you get into this, you begin to think differently. See, if all you ever watched... If all you ever did was you went home and you watched Disney movies and just watched Disney movies, Disney movies, Disney movies, you'd, you'd have a, a certain worldview, wouldn't you? Might be annoying. You'd have a certain worldview. Your worldview, your idea of love might be changed. Your idea of success might be different. Your idea of the supernatural would be different. So how does that, what about if you went home and you got into this, how would it change? Your idea of love would change. Your idea of success would change. Your idea of the supernatural would be different. All these things come from spending time learning how God thinks. If this is the word of God, if it's his word to you, and his ways are higher than our ways, his thoughts are higher than our thoughts, then don't you think when you get into here, you start to think different. You start to, to you're, react differently to things. So it says, be transformed, be totally changed by renewing your mind. And when you do that, you will prove, you may prove what the will of God is. That which is good and acceptable and perfect. So when you change your mind to think like he thinks, all of a sudden, you're proving out what the will of God is. In verse 3, it says 4. And when a, when a sentence starts with 4, it's connected with the previous thought. 
For through the grace given to me, I say, in other words, this isn't me, this is God enabling me to say this, I say to everyone among you not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think. So one of the first things of renewing our mind is saying, I'm not as hot as I think I am. I'm not as big as I think I am. But that's okay. That's not going to lead you to low self-esteem. Do you know why? Because you, believe, you, you begin to have a higher God esteem than self-esteem. And you esteem Him highly, and because He's in you, and your life is hidden in Christ, all of a sudden you see that value in Him, but it's not separate from Him. See, the person he's talking about here thinks they're God's gift to himself. They think, they think well, thank God I got born again, because look at all the things I have to offer. But somebody who's renewed in the mind says, you know what, God... I, it's not my idea, it's not my plans that are going to get this done, it's yours. So I'm not going to think bigger of myself than I need to think, I'm going to think bigger of you. And it says here, but to think so as to have sound judgment as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. He goes on to talk about the body, how it has many parts, how you're all playing a part, and you don't need to try to do everything, you just need to be who God made you to be. And in doing so, you'll prove what the will of God is. See, before we got born again, we were individuals. We had our plans. And we really did, weren't relying on other people to get them done. Maybe you were, but not in the same way that the body of Christ does. Before you got born again, you were looking out for yourself. The scripture says he died for you so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and gave himself for them. So when I got born again, when you got born again, we stop thinking about ourselves. Start thinking bigger. We're part of a body. And you really, you have to start thinking like Jesus thought. The creator of the universe. Made flesh. The word made flesh. This guy is our hero. He's the guy that we look at and go, every day I want to be more like Jesus. We'll wear bracelets called, what would Jesus do? And rightly so. But you know what Jesus said several times. I don't do what I want to do. I don't say what I want to say. I do and say what the Father tells me to say. Philippians 2 says he emptied himself. He emptied himself. He, he said, uh, you know what, my name, not important. I'm going to empty myself and take on the form of a bondservant. And because he did that, he was obedient even to the point of death, even death on the cross. It says, because of this, God highly exalted him and gave him a name. Yes. See, that's the coolest thing about being born again. You bring your name to the table. You know, I'm Dr. This, or I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm an expert in this, or this is my skill, this is my talent. This is what makes me special. And you bring it to the table, and we all join together, no matter what you thought made you special, no matter what you thought made you different. We lay it at the feet of Jesus, and we say, you know what? Our identity is now found in who you are, not in what we brought. And then he takes you and he gives you a name that's above the name you thought you had. It's way better than basing all of your identity on your accomplishments or your certificates. You lay it and you say, all I am is you. All I am is hidden in who you are. And then that's the only type of person that will ever really prove out the will of God. I'm telling you the truth. You can't prove out the will of God if you're doing your own thing. 
You can't prove out the will of God if you're coming up with your own ideas. That was Cain's mistake. You can't do it. The only way to prove the will of God is to empty yourself of your plans and your ideas and to say, what's your plan? What's your idea? You won't prove out the will of God as long as you're trying to be the big person on campus. You need to say, my identity is completely wrapped up in you. And if that means I'm going to be the anointed janitor, I'll be the anointed janitor. If that means I'm going to be the preacher, I'm going to be the preacher. If that means I'm going to be whoever you tell me to be, that's what makes me special. Is that not because I'm different than everybody else, but because you're in me and I'm in you. And my life is now, can't be separated from who you are. So if we do this, we're going to get back to that point of how do I prove the will of God? How do I know what the will of God is? You know, because 1 Corinthians quotes from the Old Testament that says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard. The hearts even begin to comprehend the good things that God has in store for those who love Him. And, and so you could read that and go, there's no chance I'll ever know the will of God. But he goes on to say, but we've received. Not the spirit which is of the world, but the spirit which is from God. So that we, and it says, who knows the heart of God except the spirit of God? Just as no one knows your heart except your own spirit. It says, we've received not the spirit which is from the world, but the spirit which is from God. So that we may know the things freely given to us by God. So if you say, I can't know the will of God, that's why he gave you his spirit so you could know his will. If you're a new believer and this is your first year at being born again, you are brand new at this. You don't have to wait five years to hear God. You may have to change your view of how God sounds because, you know, most of the time, He's not audibly yelling at you. There's times when your kids run out in the road and you yell, get out of the street. But that's not how you communicate them with them regularly, is it? I hope not. And I really hope not. That's a nice tie you have. What'd you learn at school today? You know, I mean, you're going to have to master this after so people's speakers aren't blown up. We, we communicate in different levels. God's will for you is not to con continually have to be yelling at you all the time. I remember we were <laughs> a group of young ministers gathered together in a cabin in Missouri, just getting to know each other, praying together. And uh, Pastor Tracy Harris came, spent some time, spent a night with, we asked if he could come and minister to us one night and just talk to us, older generation talking to a younger generation. He did. And um, one of the things he said was talking about this. He said, in my experience, that audible voice is not, is not God's first attempt. That's usually him saying, I really need to get your attention now. You weren't listening the first couple times. And he said his best way is through that still, small voice, that leading of the Holy Spirit. Leading of the Holy Spirit. Did you know most of the time you hear the will of God and you know the will of God, it didn't come in a sentence or a paragraph? Most of the time you, you, you say, this is what God told me to do, but you couldn't say it in exact words because a lot of times it's a leading, it's a pulling, it's a tugging. There are times he points you and he says things to you and it does drop in your spirit like a sentence or a paragraph or a phrase. But there's also so many times where you don't know exactly how it was said. You just know I'm supposed to go this direction. I'm supposed to go here today. And I don't know why, I just know I'm supposed to go here. Only the one who's completely emptied themselves of their own ambition is really going to be trustworthy when it comes to hearing the voice of God. When we go to God, 
and you give him some options. And you say, these are the things I'm, I'm, I'm wondering whether I should take this job or take this job. I wonder whether I should, you know, spend, spend Christmas here or Christmas there. And you're truly asking God. You have to go into the conversation with no opinion. Isn't that hard sometimes? It's hard to have no opinion. I have an answer I want you to say. I got three jobs and one of them pays a ton of money. But I'm going to be a good Christian and talk to you first, right? But it's almost like that formality with some people. It's that formality of like, I have to talk to you. You know, half the time people say I needed to talk to the pastor first before I did something. 75% of the time, <laughs> you're not, you don't care what I say. You're just, you just you need the stamp. Boom. Sorry, not you. <laughs> but, you know, most of the time, we, we, we wanted to meet with you before we, got, before we got married. Okay. Do you think it's a good idea? You kind of, the horse is out of the barn now, isn't it? You know, you probably should have asked that earlier. You know, or, or well, we're not, not getting to that. But most of the time people meet with you, they, they're really not asking your opinion. They're just saying, we want you to bless it. Just, just say this is a good idea. Well, sometimes we go to God like that. We've got our ideas, and we've got an answer we're really leaning towards, really wanting the voice of God. And then we wonder why we couldn't really hear the voice of God. And I, I'm just not sure if this was me or if it was God, and we're all, we just don't know whether I could be, whether, whether I can really hear from God, and you get frustrated and you stop asking. Well, that's the wrong thing to do. Let's look in something. I want, to, I want you to look in the book of John for a minute. I want you to look at John chapter 5 and see what he says here. Jesus said something real profound here. Of course, everything he said was profound. He says in verse 30, John 5.30, he says, I can do nothing on my own initiative. I can do nothing on my own initiative. I don't come up with my plans for the day. I can do nothing on my own initiative. As I hear, I judge. Okay, so there's two parts to talking to God about what you should do and finding out His will. There's hearing, then there's judging what He said. That always comes into play, right? How many of you have ever got a prophecy? Somebody spoke a prophetic word over you, and you could take it five different ways, and you want to take it a certain way. You know, there's, there's so many times God says something to you. That's not the end of the conversation. That's like the beginning of the conversation. He says something, and you need to pray about it. You need to pray over it. You need to pray in the Spirit some. Let it settle in you. Let it, let it, let it marinate there for a while and say, God, what did you mean by that? Because he's not always, just, I mean, he doesn't always say it in such a way that this is just, you know, definitely what you should do. Sometimes you really need to pray it through and pray it out. So there's hearing what God says, and then there's judging what that means. There's judging, that was this from God? Was this, you know, if it was, what does he mean by that? And Jesus said, as I hear, I judge. As I hear, I make a call, and my judgment is just. It means it's right. I judge correctly. Now, why? I'm the son of God? That's not what he says. Because I do not seek my own will. So let me break this down into our way of saying it. When I hear from God, the reason I can tell you that God told me to say this and I'll be right 
is because I didn't go into that conversation with my own opinion. I wasn't seeking my own will. And when you go into that conversation not seeking your own will, but just saying, what's your will? And really honestly saying it. Not saying your will be done like a, in a religious, ritualistic way. This is what we say because we're believers. But really going into the conversation and saying, I, have, I, I had an opinion. I got rid of my opinion. I just want your will. I had some friends that were at the um, minister's conference. And they had some big decisions ahead of them. They came, there was one decision that was out of the question. They were saying, God, what do you want us to do? This one's out of the question, though. You have these options. Here's your options. You can play in this sandbox. This is off limits. One of the cool things was, as soon as they got here, this is actually before the conference, but when they got here, God began to speak to them and minister to them in such a way that their hearts opened for the first time to that other option. Now, here's the funny thing. They didn't believe it was God saying, you have to do this. But as we talked about it, conversed about it, what they believed God was saying was, in order for you to hear accurately, you have to give me all the options. You can't be closed off to anything. So see, it wasn't God saying, that's what I want you to do, but he was saying, you have to be open to it if I said it. You can't go and close off and say, this is what we won't do. We're not willing to do this. We're kind of wanting to do this. You have to, when you pray, you just go to God and say, Lord, you may have to have a pre-prayer, a, a prayer before the prayer where you say, Lord, help me to empty myself of my opinions because I've got a few of them, and I really feel strongly about this. And then you wonder... You know, when you go into a prayer, and I really feel strongly about it, why can't I hear clearly? You just got to get over your opinion. You got to come to the place where you are completely unbiased, empty as you can be of opinions, of, of direction that you want to go to, and you just be like Jesus and say, I don't seek my own will. I'm not talking God into anything. Have you ever felt like you were talking God into something? That's not a good place to be, is it? He said, you can trust that I hear from God. You can trust that what I judge from what I hear is right because I don't seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. See, it's all about what you're seeking in prayer. What does the Bible say? What did Jesus say? Knock, and the door will be opened. Seek, and you shall find. Ask, and you will receive. Seek, and you will find. If you go into a conversation with God seeking His approval for your will, what do you think you'll find? But if you go seeking His will and His will alone, and you just want His will, you'll find it. He's not a, he's not a bad father. He's not an unrighteous father who says, you ask me, but I don't feel like telling you. He will show you His will. And sometimes it's what Romans 12.2 says, sometimes it's in the walking that you completely realize what the will of God is. There are times that I want the full blueprint. I want all of it right now. Give me the full map. Put it on a DVD. Let me watch it. Let me, let me go back and rewind and replay. And so many times you look ahead at the future of your life, and I hope you guys can identify, but you look at the future of your life, you look two years down the road, and you see shadows and silhouettes, but you don't see clear figures. And, and people ask you, what's, what's two years ahead of you? And you say, I wish I knew, 
it's kind of clear, and you had a spiritual person or most likely a spiritual business person in your life that says, what's your five-year plan? And they think they're being the smart, smart uh, you know, honorary uncle in your life by saying that, and you somehow, you know, and, and you're supposed to come up with an answer of well, what I'm going to be doing in five years. Sometimes you have to be like Abraham and say, I don't know where I'm going. He just told me to walk in this direction. And when I get there, I'll know it. Get there, I know it. You know what? Sometimes we want, we, you know, most of the time, I'll tell you just from my personal experience, most of the time when I want all the answers, it's not even for me. It's for everybody else. It's for everybody that asks me. I want to tell them something. And I want them to be impressed by it. You know? Especially when I came out of high school. You guys can identify this. When you got out of high school or you got out of college and somebody says, what are you going to do? What's your plan? Somehow saying, I'm just going to walk out the will of God, and here's what I know for this year, is not acceptable. It's seen as irresponsible to everybody. That's, you're, you're not a responsible person. You are going to end in the poorhouse. There may not be a poorhouse anymore, but you'll find it, and you'll end up in it. <laughs> they kind of give you that look like, well... Talk to me when you're 30, living in your mom's basement, playing video games. They, they doom you to a life of just wandering around, being a total slacker, eating Doritos and wondering, what does God really want? But that's not what God has for you. You have to trust Him. Sometimes, what you know, Hebrew says, by faith, Abraham set out not knowing where he was going. He set out not knowing where he was going. But then it says he knew, and it talks about his, what he knew about God, and it talks about what he knew about God also in Romans when he's talking about offering his son. And here's what I believe, that Abraham knew whom he believed enough. Because he knew whom he believed enough, he didn't have to know all the other details. He knew what was important. God is going to show me where to go. God's going to take care of me. The reason we talk about this this morning is not because, well, it's, a, it's just, you know, a fun topic. The reason we talk about this is because every one of you, you don't, there's never been a period in your life where God gave you the full deal and said, this is what you're doing for 25 years. Every, I mean, just through, there's periods of your life where you continually have to say, God, where am I going? Right? Is anybody, does anybody here, you finish the conversation, you, are, you know, until you die, you know what you're doing? No, all right, no hands. Not even smart aleck teenager hands. We don't, we don't have it figured out. So this is important, that you renew your mind according to the word. Because here's the thing. Jesus said, my sheep will follow me because they know my voice. He says, I'll call them and I'll lead them out, and they will find pasture. The only way you go where you're supposed to go is if you can hear God. The only way you can hear God is if you say, His voice is the only opinion that really matters in my life. So this is important, because you can't please God without faith. You can't have faith without the voice of God. Can I tell you something to encourage you? Here goes a bulletin. If you think that everything in life 
you're going to have to have a mystical vision or experience. You're being led by the wrong thing. Can I tell you, this is the Word of God. And I'd say uh, the majority of everything God says to me came straight from me opening this book. Now, there have been other things, like I said, this book doesn't tell you whether you're supposed to go to Vancouver or not. But when you become so intimately familiar with His voice and His Spirit, if you know this, you begin to recognize His voice. If you get into His Word, you'll find that that Word has cleaned your mind up and you now know what the voice of God sounds like because you've been spending all your time with it. And so when He does say, I want you to go to Vancouver, I want you to walk down the street, go in that Chinese restaurant, you know it was God because you recognize His voice. Because you spent all that time with His Word, in His Word, spending time with Him. You want, you to, you want your hearing to be reliable. You need to spend time. That's the only way you know somebody's voice is spending time with them. It, you can't just study it like a lab. Experiments, you've got to spend time with them. And I've said this before, but none of you, nobody in this room, I don't care how talented you are, you couldn't phone me on my cell phone, even if it was bad reception, and imitate my wife and have me believe it was Tia. None of you could. And the reason is, is because I hear my voice, my wife's voice, all the time. And I like to hear her voice. And when we talk, I know it's her voice instantly. And I'm so familiar with it that no one could ever counterfeit it. That came with time. That comes with relationship. The way you'll keep from being counterfeited by other voices, other things leading you down the wrong road, is to know the real one so well that you won't fall for the false one. It's not by learning all the false ones. It's not by having all the books on all the cults in the world that you'll keep from going off track because you know what? There's always a new lie. The best way is to know the truth. Yes. If you know the truth, if you know his real voice, other voices won't lead you astray. God wants you. He wants you to be able to hear and to do according to his will. The Bible says that you've been created in Christ Jesus. You're his workmanship created for His good pleasure, and it says, created for good works, which He's prepared for you in advance that you may walk in them. So He's already got things laid out for you. And it's His will, it's His good pleasure that you walk in them. We've just got to learn how to hear. And as Jesus said it so clearly, the way I can trust what I hear, the way you can trust what I hear, is because I don't seek my own will here. I'm not seeking my plan. I've emptied myself of my plans and my ideas. I just make myself willing to hear what God says. That's very simple. But it's also the most profound thing that I've ever had to walk through in my life. It's a simple truth. And you might be sitting here going, we spent 40 minutes, 45 minutes talking about something I already know. And if that's good, good for you. But for me, it's a daily thing where I've got to say, Lord, I realize I've got opinions. I'm learning how to lay those opinions down and hear clearly. We all want to hear clearly, don't we? Thank you.